Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us before Him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Very, very good. Heavenly Father, we bow before You today and we look at this passage. How often it brings up that You deserve the praise. And everything we study here today will resound with that phrase. You deserve the praise. Thank You for what You've done for us. We're going to look again at a passage, a very precious passage, Lord. We're learning a lot from it about what you see we are because of Christ. And I hope that we can take this to heart and live in light of it and bring praise to your name. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word right now. Use it mightily in our lives. Do your work in us. If things need change, change them, Lord. We want to be like Jesus. We pray this today in His name. Amen. We're going to focus on verse 7 today. What a very appropriate verse here. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. As I've shown you a couple of times already, in the way Paul has constructed this uh, long paragraph, He has given particular tasks to each of the three persons of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In verse 3 through 6, it's the Father's works that are emphasized. Blessed, chosen, made us holy, made us blameless, predestined us, adopted us to the position as sons, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Today we're going to look at a particular work of the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say it this way, so carefully listen to these words. 
It was a work that only he could do for us. The son's works are recorded in verse 7 through 12. Redemption, forgiveness, revealing to us his will, providing our inheritance. Those are the four that we will be focusing on for several weeks here. And it sums it up at the end of verse 12 to the praise of his glory. And when we get through that, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit's work as well. Verse 13 and 14 highlights the fact that he has sealed us in him, again, to the praise of his glory. But let's go back to a statement that I had just said. The Son's work. Redemption, forgiveness, revealing to us his will, providing our inheritance, and the particular work that only the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, could have done for us. The Father didn't do this that we're going to read today. The Holy Spirit did not do this that we're going to read today. And it's because of verse number 7. In Him we have redemption, and then mark these three words, through His blood. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. How appropriate it is to come to this passage to match our calendar right now. Next week is Palm Sunday. Isn't that amazing? This year is just already. We're going to start Christmas music in a couple of weeks. Right? The following week is Easter, two weeks away. I know, choir panicked for a minute, but we'll get over that. Easter is coming. It's coming. And the reality is, we can never say enough about the blood of Christ. This could be our theme always, the blood of Christ. In the New Testament, do you know there's nearly 100 verses that make direct statements about the blood of Christ? That's a lot of verses in just a handful of Scripture there alone. When you go to the Gospels and you go to the life of Christ and you follow his life in a chronological way, it's a fascinating study to do. But it's interesting to me that it's not until John chapter 6 that his blood is brought up in a conversation. And what was interesting about that conversation was that after he said these words, a lot of people left. They would not follow him after he said these things. In John six fifty three, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And when he finished saying these words, the result of this, it says that many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. They left. Now, to you and me, the terms, the blood of Christ, are precious. First time they heard those phrases, (laughs) It didn't sound impressive at all. Matter of fact, they were confused 
And for some, the very thought of it was repulsive. Unbelievers cannot understand this phrase. Do you know that? They cannot understand it. Even in our day and age now, our world would love it if we got rid of that whole phrase, the blood of Christ. They do not understand the salvation that you have. They do not understand the blood that saved you. They do not understand the cross. All the commercials I see right now are about Easter bunnies and chocolate. Which is not a bad thing to have, by the way. Especially if they're solid. Not hollow, but solid ones. But they don't talk about Easter like you talk about Easter. They don't talk about the blood of Christ. They don't understand it. They don't see its importance. They don't, they don't even understand your relationship with God, for that matter. This world doesn't understand what it means to be saved. And sometimes I think even as believers, we wrestle with what does it mean to be saved. Because <laughs> it's a tough world we live in. But imagine standing there the day Jesus said the words I just read to you. And you'd never heard such a phrase before in your life. It appears that the next time Jesus made reference to his blood was in an upper room. And there, that night before he was crucified, he instituted what we call our communion service. They call it the Last Supper. They call it the Lord's Supper. They have different names for it. But you remember he took the bread and broke it. This is my body, which is for you. And then he gave him the cup and he said, this is my blood. And I pour it out for you too. Mark records that, Matthew records that, Luke records that. All three of them have pretty much the same phrase. In the same way he took the cup after he had eaten and said, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Fascinating little phrase. Matter of fact, there might be a little confusion about that today in some circles. The new covenant in my blood. If it's the same new covenant that we believe it is, he's talking about the one mentioned in Jeremiah 31. Verse number 31. It speaks of a time when God will change the hearts of his people Israel to know his law. That's an amazing thing, by the way. <laughs> For them to know his law and their hearts to be changed and God will forgive their sins. That is still a prophecy unfulfilled. The day will come. It will come, but it's not yet. But this is what Jeremiah records for us in chapter 31, verse 31, and a handful of verses to follow. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. That's not the church. That's Israel and Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with the fathers in the day I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, but they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember no more. 
That's a powerful thing God's going to do for these people. It couldn't happen without the shedding of blood. Blood had to be shed. And even the Hebrew writer, chapter 10, verse 4, says that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. All those years they did that, God told them to, right? He set up a temple, first the tabernacle, later the temple, where they were to bring their sacrifices. Thousands and thousands of sacrifices in a week's time. Unless Solomon was on the throne. (laughs) You read about some of those days. Those people worked overtime when he brought the sacrifice party around. There was a lot of sacrificing going on. A lot of blood being spilled there. And it's interesting that Scripture says, but that never, never took away sin. Never. They could have had oceans of blood from animals. It would not work. It would not work. But Hebrews 9.12 says these words, and I'm going to read 12, 13, and 14 for you here. Hebrews 9. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood. That's speaking of Jesus. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Mark that word. We'll be back. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offer himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I could spend months, literally, Alone on the topic of the blood of Christ. But let me sum it up this way. Jesus took on flesh. We celebrate that at our Christmas time. He became a man. God the Father didn't. God the Holy Spirit didn't. It was God the Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who took on flesh to dwell among us. As a man, he lived among us. As a man, he suffered. As a man, he bled. As a man, he died on the cross on our behalf. You know very well we deserve to die for our sins. You know the verse inside out. The wages of sin is death. We deserve that, folks. We deserve that. But he actually did die on behalf of our sins. It was our blood that was due. It was his blood that was paid. That's amazing to me. Matter of fact, it's even better than any blood I could ever shed. His was perfect. So it's no surprise when you get to verse number 7. In our passage we're studying here in Ephesians 1. It says, if we have redemption, I'm not saying it says if, but if we do have redemption by Jesus Christ, if we are to be forgiven because of Jesus Christ, it must be through his blood. It must be. We have redemption through his blood. The word in the Greek is dia. That's our preposition. 
it's like drawing a giant circle. And the whole circle is labeled with the word blood. The blood of Christ. And the only way you are going to get to the Father is through Him. Through that blood. That's via. That's the only way it's going to happen. It's through Him. You don't go around it. You don't go under it. You don't go over it. You don't find some other path. It's through Him. Through that blood. That's the cost of your redemption. That's a very high price when you look at it. So it's very important here this morning, as we solidify this truth prior to even talking about our identity, because that's what we're talking about, that you be shown this fact. If you are redeemed, and I trust you are, I would say, yeah, you, you could probably say that. If you are redeemed, it was made possible by somebody else. Jesus purchased your title for you. Redeemed. It's very important here to understand that. The merits of your redemption rest on His blood, not on you. Not on me. Redemption, or any other part or piece of salvation, is not purchased by us. We know that, don't we? It's not earned by us, right? It's not by our works. It's not by our intellect. It's not by our sweet dispositions. It's not by our standing in society. It's not by our good looks, folks. Redemption is through His blood. Mark those three words. They're so important. And if it is purchased by Him, you ready for this? This is where I'm going to say someday we're sitting seatbelts on these pews. Because some of these things come and they're like, wow, this is astounding. Think of this. If all that is true, then its duration is determined by him too. If he bought it, he's the one that keeps it. By this I mean, since you didn't bring it about, you cannot undo it. Honestly, I lived many years of my life thinking I could. Unless you have something in your arsenal that's more powerful than the blood of Christ, you cannot change it, what he has done. You cannot. You can fight against it all you want, and I know that fight. It's a frustrating thing. You might as well wrestle with the sun, or you might as well hold back the ocean wave with your hand. Because you can't change the fact. And here's what I'd like to say to you. If you are the kind who wrestles with that as to whether or not your, your salvation is secure, if you're looking at yourself, give it up. Because if your salvation is based on you, it is not secure. <laughs> it's done. It won't work. If your salvation is based on Christ, and I don't boast on that, and you don't boast on that, like we did it. But He did it. If it is based on Him... Would you please just rest in that fact? Rest 
in the finished work of Christ. It's through His blood. I can't underscore that enough here this morning. It is redemption through and only through His blood. Okay? That's what it says. I have to just look at that and say, okay, what do I do with that? He says, that's the title you bear. That's the title you bear. We call ourselves redeemed. Matter of fact, we have a little song we sing. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed. We are blessed, are we not? Please say yes. Or else we're starting Sermon 1 again. It's right here in the book. First one, it says blessed. Right? Blessed. We are chosen, aren't we? Yes. Aren't you glad to wear that title? He's made us holy. I know you wrestle with that still, but isn't that what he calls us? Holy ones? Does he, does he also call you a blameless one? Yes, he does. We have read that he's predestined us. We wear that title. We read also that he's adopted us to the position of sons. We wear that title. Guess what says the next one? Redeemed. It is accomplished in the exact same fashion as all the rest. This is what God has done for you. He gives you a title, undeserved as it is. He gives you a title to wear. This is such a wonderful thing to think through. Such a precious thing to think through. Let me give you the word picture. This is one of my favorite words I cross when I, I play with Greek languages. Oh, it's really good. Apolutrosis. Sounds like penicillin will help that one, huh? Apolutrosis. That's a Greek word. Apo means away from. Away from. Uh, it's a great term if you're trying to escape. Because you don't escape and just stand outside the, the place you escape. You run a long ways away, don't you? There's places in Indiana, I've seen them in other states too, but in Indiana, if you're coming down through uh, one particular territory on Route 31, and Dwight would know this too, but uh, there's a sign there that says, don't pick up hitchhikers. Because there is a prison <laughs> out there, a little ways outside of town, and uh, when they are running, they don't just get outside the fence and say, ah, I'm out. <laughs> they move as far away as they possibly can. That's the word apo. All right? Far away. Get out, get out, get far away. Get away from it. The second word, lutrosis, comes from the word lutron. A lutron is a tool that you use to pry something away. Whatever you're prying, it's stuck. And you have to get a tool to get it off. Because whatever it is, it cannot free itself. It cannot get off. I have this thought in my head. I've shared it with you before, I'm sure. But growing up and watching my dad work on cars in his garage, that was not his job. He worked for the railroad. That was his ministry. Because he could fix cars back then. 
As soon as they came out electronically and computerized, he said, I retire. He was done. But when it used to be a, a 79 Camaro or a 64 Chevy or anything else around those ballparks, he could fix it. And so he did that for widows, for single moms, those who had car trouble and and they depended on that vehicle, and they couldn't get back and forth to work without it. And suddenly something was wrong with it. They called my dad, and he fixed them for him. And he was so, I mean, I learned so many lessons about his generosity there. Uh, I watched him break a windshield, putting it in for somebody. And he went and bought a new one and told him it was only five bucks. I know it was a lot more than that. Even the gas would have cost more than that to get a new one. But I just was impressed with the way he would fix cars. But what also impressed me in that garage was the number of bent crowbars in a pile by the door. I don't know what happened. Whatever it was that he was prying, there had to have been a good fight. My dad was very strong, but bent crowbars just amazed me as a kid. Made you think, I don't want to get in trouble today when you see those kind of things. But that's what I saw. I saw that pile of bent crowbars. And every time I think about this Greek word lutron, I think of that picture in my mind. It's like a crowbar coming in to release you from your sin. You're stuck. You're bound in your sin. You're like a captive. Scripture will use all kinds of words to define it and describe it to you. Slaves, terms like that. Generally, a lutron was a price brought in to pay for your release. It was really prying you out of your situation. A price had to be paid. And the price was usually very high. And it was usually paid by somebody who was on the outside because it's so difficult for somebody who's stuck to help themselves. In our Christian vocabulary, we use the word redemption as a price that was paid so that we can be set free. We were stuck and unable to free ourselves. Now, that's the nicest way to say it. In Ephesians 2, it says you were dead. <laughs> you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But folks, that's the power of sin, is it not? The power of sin. Sometimes we don't take that seriously enough. Sin is devastating. Sin will destroy every single time and destroys everything around it. That is, that's all it does, is destroy, 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 destroy. It's a powerful thing. And God had declared that the soul that sins shall die. And it's recorded several times in Scripture. Because God's not changing His mind about it. It's not only in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament too. And unless you're more powerful than God's statement... You will never be free from sin and its consequences if you try to fix it yourself. You cannot do it. You are stuck forever in the domain of darkness. 
Colossians says it this way. You might want to turn there. You're not many pages away. Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians 1, look at verse 13 and 14 with me for a minute. 13 and 14. Give you a second to catch up here. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He rescued us many, many years ago. I stood at that fence railing, looking just on the other side of it, at the place where the river falls down the Niagara Falls. Ever been there? Boy, is that an impressive sight. You're driving to the Niagara Falls territory. I remember we were a mile away, and you can hear that sound, that rumble of water. We went into the uh, museum. There's little museums here and there, and there was a particular museum near the falls that had a bunch of barrels in it of people who thought, well, this is a great idea. (laughs) And they got in the barrel and went over the falls. Um, There was a record of how many people didn't make it, and that was a good deterrent, uh, surely. But uh, some of those were pretty fancy-looking barrels that they came up with to somehow survive going down the falls. There was a day they record, it was a newspaper clipping on the wall, and I remember it vividly, the day that the ice blocked up the river and the falls stopped for a few moments. And the people in the town had not heard that silence before. And they thought the world had come to an end. It's like, what is that? Silence. But the roar is incredible. And you stand there and you look right over the the railing there and you can feel the mist coming up and hitting you. And you see the just the power of water as it falls. That, that stream, that river that comes that way, the closer it gets, it seems to pick up speed, momentum as it's coming in. And whatever is caught up in it is going over. You can't swim against that. If you jumped out in that water, it's going to carry you over. The word rescue here is an interesting word. It's like delivering somebody from a hard current. You know, if you were by the side of a, of a lake or a pond or something else and somebody was in the middle of it yelling help, you don't stop and say, hmm, now what should I do? But what's your tendency to do? What's the first thing you think you should do? Jump in. Help them. And it's a matter of speed, is it not? We go fast. This word rescue is the rushing forward to deliver somebody out of the current that they are caught in. And that's the first words that Paul puts here to describe what God has done for us. We were in that kind of danger. In that kind of danger. And he didn't take his time about it. He rushes in, is the picture, to rescue us. He rushes in. And matter of fact, here's what's really interesting. He rescued us. You can put a period right there. Because it's done. It doesn't say he is rescuing us as if every day he's making a little progress. 
Like he's slowly pulling you out inch by inch. And maybe by the time you're in your 90s or something, you'll finally get out of the water. This is a completed action. He rescued us. It's done. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. That place that we could never get out of. Like a prison, if you read it in the way that uh, Pilgrim's Progress was written. (laughs) It's like you're in prison. We talk about Peter being in prison and suddenly the Lord bursts the door open and takes him out. John, or Charles Wesley's song, uh, Thine eye diffused a quickly, quickening ray. My chains fell off. I was free. In those pictures that we sing about. This is the picture of rescue. It's done. It's done. The domain of darkness you've been set free from in Christ Jesus. That's amazing, folks. Now, he didn't set you just outside the gate and said, okay, I rescued you. Now, you figure out the rest of it. But it goes on to say, and he transferred us. Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Transferred. Done. You could write that next to it. Finished. Completed. He's not in the process of it. It always makes me nervous when I move funds from one account to another and it says, oh, we're transferring that. We'll tell you when it's done. You hope it gets done. You know how electronics work these days. You hope so. You're moving funds. You want it from one to the other. This isn't a maybe that you're looking at here. This isn't a process. That takes the time that we put into saying, well, I've got to be transferred. I'm not quite there yet, but somewhere I'm floating. I'm going to get there. Done. Done. This is so powerful to read this. Because when he says he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Notice verse 14, how quickly he says, how? In whom we have Redemption. There's the big Lutron came out again. The powerful blood of Christ that pried you from your sin and death. He created that powerful transfer through His act, not yours. The forgiveness of sins we're going to talk about next week too. But it's not based on anything we've done based on what he's done. Do you see it? This is so important to understand because, folks, if this is your story, you are changed forever. Do you see? You have been changed forever. Christ has set you free and if Christ has set you free, you are what? Free indeed. So why do we go back as if we're not? Why do we act like this word is good for everybody else, but it's not good for me because it doesn't work? Why do we think that way? When you're reading the same text I'm reading, aren't you? In Him we have redemption through His blood. Through His blood. I want to show you one more thing. I've got time. I was going to take it anyway. But one more thing in verse 7. 
If you're reading from a New American Standard Version today, or maybe you've got the Legacy Translation. I enjoy that too. You read verse 7 and it says, In Him we have redemption. Stop right there. In Him we have redemption. Some of you carry a King James Version. Or maybe you have that Lexham version on your computer or something like that, and you're reading it. In whom we have redemption. If you're reading a New King James Version, you see, in him we have redemption. If you're reading an NIV, guess what it says? You can see it. In him we have redemption. That matches the English Standard Version, too, if you have that. They all record the same thought. They all say practically the same words. Here it is. We have redemption. It doesn't say we might have redemption. It doesn't say we will have redemption. It doesn't say we should have redemption. It is what we call a present tense, which is, by the way, Continuous reality. We have redemption. Right now, through the blood of Christ, as a believer in Jesus Christ, do you have redemption? Yes. I could ask you that in ten minutes and your answer would still be yes. And on Monday, guess what it is? Yes. It's continuous. Every day, every moment that is present tense, you have it. I like the other word for it. You hold it. Right here in your hands, you hold it. You have this as your own possession. It belongs to you. It belongs to you. I find that so refreshing to read. We have redemption. I have a precious possession because of Jesus. A precious thing. Some time ago, not many years, or months ago, actually, it seemed, Pam and I were up in North Carolina to visit her family. We went to, uh, to Mount Airy. You know what that is? In TV land, it's called Mayberry. And we got to tour the town. They had the jail cells there. They had the, they had the police cars going up and down the street that looked like Barney was in it. If you wanted to pay money, you could have rode in it. So while we were looking for some sort of a, a memento for a visit, on the counter there, they were selling driver's license. North Carolina driver's license, Barney Fife's picture. It says Barney Fife. Sheriff's Office, Mayberry, RFD. I put that in my wallet. Right there. You know how many times I've been tempted to do that? When somebody says, can I see your ID? I've been wanting to pull that out for a while. I had to order my new valid ID, driver's license. And when you do that, you probably know if you've done that. They say, oh, it could take about a month before you get it. You carry this piece of paper. And so I was visiting, I don't know where we were, one of the stores or something, and they needed my ID, and I opened it up, and I didn't have a driver's license. I had a piece of paper, but I had Barney Fife's picture there. 
boy, was that tempting. It was so tempting to say, see what I got? All right. That was just, it was just funny to think of that. But I carry that in my wallet, and someday somebody's going to find it there and say, what is this guy doing? You know, but I possess it. It's in my pocket. The redemption I'm talking about today, you possess. It's yours. He gave that to you. Do you see how precious this is? He gave that to you. He paid his blood that you might have that. Don't treat it like it's optional. Don't treat it like it's not very unique or special or anything like that. It is precious that you have that. It's been bought by a heavy price. But it belongs to you as a believer in Christ. You own it right now. You have it right now. That is a title you wear. It says, redeemed on you, when God looks down. And if it's that precious, you go and get mixed up in sin. Number one, that ought to be a good deterrent to say, you know, Christ paid an awful lot for me. I shouldn't do that. But on the other hand, sometimes we do. Because our minds are on other things. We get messed up sometimes. And we think that, wow, I just messed up my salvation. You think somehow you reversed it all. You made a huge mess. It can never be fixed. And you start to carry that burden. And you carry it and you carry it and carry it. It's as if the blood of Christ that pried you free from the penalty of sin and its consequence of death is no longer very strong. Their sin is more potent than it is. What are you holding right now, believer? Redemption. Do you hear it? You're holding it right now. Redemption through His blood. You carry that with you. He has set you free. If you're still carrying a burden, and you think it's stronger than the blood of Christ, go talk to him about that. Because the passage says he paid for it. Do you believe that? He paid for it. Across your name is not the word sinner, lost cause. As a believer in Christ, it says sinner, saved by grace. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Don't you think that the God who blessed you and chose you and made you to wear the title holy and blameless and predestined you to the place as His Son, don't you think He knew that sin had to be dealt with and that you and I needed release from it? I'm going to read you a powerful passage here. I could say just turn to Romans 8 and read it, but I want you to hear it first and then go back and read it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do. The fact is, the law calls for death for every sin. That's all it ever does. It says, kill them. Death, sin, but it can never remove it. The law can't remove it. It's as weak as it was to the flesh. What the law could not do, God did. Sending His own Son 
in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, he changed you forever. He changed you forever. When you step out of this room today, believer, you're stepping out as somebody who wears a title, Redeemed. Such a wonderful thing to be set free, isn't it? Live like you are redeemed, okay? You wear the title. Live it. And if you're still struggling with something, I'll talk to you. Let's talk about it. But I tell you every time, I'll point you to the same place. Christ is the one through His blood who sets you free. I can't do it. Nobody else can. He can. And He can indeed. Heavenly Father, You have done a precious thing in giving us Your Son. We can't really fathom that. Nor can we fathom fully the price that was paid on our behalf. We don't fully even understand the depth of our sin or the consequence of it all. But we can rest in the truth that we have seen this morning. We have been redeemed through the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And for that we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. As we learn to understand it, help us to learn to live like it. As redeemed individuals, those who wear a title we don't deserve, but one we're glad to wear. Thank you for what you've done for us. Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross. If there's anybody here today, Lord, that needs to hear that especially, they've never known you as the Savior. May this be the day. May this be the moment that they realize, boy, do they need you. And we as believers, some of us struggle a great deal perhaps with things that have entrapped us, habits or various things that have come upon us and we participated or we did it or it's happened to us, but we carry a burden as if it's not ever going to be fixed. I just pray, Lord, that we could fix our eyes on you the one who is the author and finisher of our faith, the one who has accomplished redemption through your blood, there's nothing you can do, can't do. And I pray, Lord, if somebody is struggling here today, they recognize the power of the blood of Christ, and they can walk out of this room today knowing that Christ has dealt with that too, whatever that might be. Lord, for some of us, we don't even pay much attention to these words. We haven't thought about it for months, maybe years. And we acted like we could just go on life the rest of our life without ever talking about the redemption we have in Christ. I don't think we could do that anymore today. For we're walking from this room redeemed. In the title, we understand now. We own it. It's because of Christ who paid for it. And I pray that you impress that on our heart so that we might go out into a world that desperately needs a Savior and show them we found one. We are redeemed, and you can be too. Motivate us with these words today, not just in our living, but also in our sharing. Motivate us. It's a beautiful time of year to talk about the cross of Christ. Lord, may it be so. But we thank you today. Thank you for what you have done. 
praise your name. We do it all in our Savior, whose blood was paid for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.